The Apostles' Creed, second part. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father. That is the theme set for today. Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, and ascended. On holiday earlier this month, I went with a cousin to the Museum of Welsh Life near Cardiff. And it's one of these museums where they rescue old buildings and rebuild them. So you can experience something of what life was like. One of the buildings rescued was an ancient church dating back to the late 12th century, St. Tylo's, though if that's how the Welsh pronounce it, I don't know. Um, Brian can maybe put me right later. This church had remained derelict for quite some years. And then when it was given to the museum, it was discovered there was a hole in the roof and the rain had been in and washed off some of the plaster. But that was when an amazing discovery was made because underneath the plaster were these ancient medieval paintings. They were photographed, the paint was analyzed, and when the church was re-erected, these paintings were reproduced. They're not works of art. They're almost like um, cartoon pictures in a way because they're not, they're not the resurrection in first century AD. They're a resurrection according to medieval thought and dress. But they show, the main pictures show Jesus Christ crucified, being scourged, crucified, risen, which is a, a wonderful picture of Jesus climbing out of the tomb, risen and ascended. And as I saw this, I knew at the back of my mind I was preaching on this topic. I thought, well, really, this is the basis, isn't it, of our faith. The crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. Someone once described Jesus as the world's worst funeral director because he broke up every funeral he ever attended, including his own. And there was a, a mailing leaflet for a magazine was returned from the post office with the words, deceased, address unknown. Well, death is inevitable, even for us. But it is not the end for Christians. And our destination is not unknown, it is certain. We are promised heaven, life with God forever. As Paul says in his letter, if Jesus Christ wasn't raised, then we're more to be pitied than anyone else. 
because our faith is meaningless. And when you really consider the death and resurrection of Jesus, when you really think about it, almighty God becoming a human being and dying, it's mind-blowing. How can this be possible? The creative mind, the, the will, the force, the power behind all creation loves us enough to come and die for us, to pay the penalty for all our sins and restore us to a right relationship with Jesus. I don't know how he loves us so much. I don't know how it works, but it does, and I believe it's true. And so this morning we're going back to basics, to the basics of our faith. Sometimes we get the idea that Christian faith is all about doing something for God. It's what we do, the meetings we attend, the good works we do. But Christianity, our faith, is about what God has done for us. So let us consider these words of Isaiah's, written between six and seven hundred years before Jesus was born. I wonder what the people of Isaiah's day thought of those words. What on earth was he talking about? Who's carrying our infirmities? Who's being pierced for us? What does it mean? It only makes sense when seen, viewed through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. All these prophecies here in Isaiah, plus hundreds more in the Old Testament, are fulfilled in the one person, Jesus Christ. And the odds against one person fulfilling all those prophecies are astronomical. How can we say God doesn't love us or hasn't got a plan of salvation when hundreds of years before Jesus was born, it's written down, it's planned out, it's there. Chapter 53 begins with a description of the suffering servant. He had no beauty or majesty attractors to him. Nothing in his appearance to make him stand out from the crowd. Not handsome enough or important enough to turn heads. Not famous or distinguished enough like George Clooney to demand attention. It reminds me of the Reverend Rob Frost. He was a great evangelist and inspired people to deepen their faith with Jesus. But he was a little man. He didn't push himself forward. Quite inconspicuous, really. But to those who encountered him, he was dynamic. And within minutes, he'd have people praying for each other, for people they didn't know. He was a man who had the vision to start up Easter people, 
which inspired thousands of Christians to grow and develop their faith. He too had opposition, but he worked tirelessly through his missions, through books, through Share Jesus International, to tell people the good news of Jesus. He died from throat cancer, age 57. So back to Isaiah's suffering servant, which describes so accurately Jesus' death. He was pierced, and Jesus had nails pushed through his hands. He was oppressed and afflicted by the Roman soldiers, beaten, crown of thorns. He was silent. He didn't open his mouth. And Jesus was quiet before his tormentors. It looks like the death of this servant is a defeat. A man abandoned by God. An innocent man abandoned by God. Eugene Peterson translates verses 4 and 5 as follows. But the fact is, it was our pain he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took the punishment that made us whole. Through his bruises, we are healed. The crucifixion was for you and for me. It was to set us free from all that we do that is wrong. And Isaiah spells it out before it happens. Let's face facts. None of us are without sin. And by sin, I mean ignoring God, living as though God is irrelevant, following our own agendas, not giving time to God to listen to where he wants us to be, to what he wants us to know. And it's far too easy, isn't it, to do what we want without referring to God I can make all sorts of excuses for reading a good book rather than perhaps doing something God wants me to do. But we have health because Jesus took the punishment we deserved. This is what I was taught as a child and I expect most of you have heard it as a child. We say the creed because yes, we believe it. We know it in our heads. But do we know it in our hearts? Has the story of Jesus impacted us like it did Paul? Like it did John Wesley? And John Wesley was brought up as a Christian too. He tr struggled hard trying to make himself acceptable to God. He tried to earn forgiveness and peace by increased effort. 
but he wrote in his diary, he groaned under a heavy yoke. And then on that momentous day, 24th of May, 1738, he heard someone reading from a book by Martin Luther and his heart felt strangely warmed. His head knowledge became part of his heart and he became one of the greatest preachers ever. There's a Welshman, Evan Roberts, who was the centre of the Welsh revival in 1904 to 5. He experienced the overwhelming love of God, his head knowledge about Jesus becoming heart knowledge. And he writes, I felt ablaze with a desire to go through the length and breadth of Wales to tell of the Saviour. And had it been possible, I was willing to pay God to do it. Do you know the Queen? Would you recognise her? Yeah, we, we know a lot about her, don't we? So much has been written about her. We know about her. But if you were to go up to the door of Buckingham Palace and knock on it, would she know you? <laughs> Beg your pardon. <laughs> she wouldn't come to the door. Oh, she, right, she wouldn't come to the door. No, I don't think we'd get past the guards at the gate. But... We don't have a personal relationship with the Queen. But we can have a personal relationship with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And unlike the Queen, God knows us through and through. And he longs for us to know him more intimately. Our hearts need to know Jesus as well as our heads. We need to experience this amazing love and sacrifice. We need the deep, intimate relationship with God that Jesus has won for us. If you feel you need a deeper understanding of God, if you need, feel you need to experience more of his love, well, there's prayer at the end of the service. It is possible. Don't miss out. And could I recommend Alpha? That is a wonderful experience for deepening faith and understanding and knowing the love of God. And there's a new course starting very shortly on the 9th of October. Please be encouraged to continue to search deeper in Jesus. Isaiah continues his description of the suffering servant who was cut off from the land of the living. Assigned a grave with the wicked. He was crucified. Jesus was crucified between two thieves and with the rich in his death. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. And he goes on to say that it wasn't the end. Because he was cut off, had no descendants, Jesus never married and had children, but Isaiah goes on to assure us 
that he will see his offspring and prolong his days. I believe that all those who trust Jesus, who believe in him, are his offspring. We are God's children, along with millions of others throughout the world. Isaiah tells us that sin has its consequences. It hurts God and it hurts us. Death must be atoned for to enable you and me to pass through death into eternal life. Death isn't the end. Paul is adamant. Christ has been raised from death. He's met him on the road to Damascus. Such an experience that was that it, it's just impacted Paul's life and as a result he does a complete about turn and spends the rest of his life 100% sharing the good news of Jesus, crucified, risen and ascended. He tells us in his letter that the crucifixion was witnessed by women, by Peter. The Bible tells us... Um, the two on the road to Emmaus, the women at the tomb, and a verse that wasn't read out, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom were still living. Many people have tried to disprove the resurrection. One of the more well-known ones is um, Frank Morrison, who wrote, Who Moved the Stone?, he set out to prove that the, the res resurrection story was just a myth. But his investigations led him to a personal belief in Jesus. I was waiting for an appointment at Skipton Hospital a while ago, my head in a book to pass the time. A Muslim gentleman sitting next to me started a conversation. Do you read a lot? Have you read the holy books? By holy books, he meant the Bible and the Koran. He had read them both. I said I'd read the Bible, but not the Koran. He started talking about faith, and he was very knowledgeable. But he said he couldn't believe all the stories about Jesus, like the virgin birth or the resurrection. I felt a bit on the back foot, really. But I'm, I managed to blurt out that the God I believed in was far greater than I could imagine and that nothing was impossible to him. Jesus crucified, risen and ascended. An amazing story of God's love planned from the earliest days, written and spoken about through the centuries, fulfilled in the life of Jesus proved by millions of people of every colour and nationality since then. It's not possible to sit on the fence. With such a wonderful story of forgiveness and new life, we should be overflowing with gratitude to God and sharing his love with all we meet. There are times when I'm really thinking about it that it makes me want to dance with joy and shout God's praises. I'm finishing with a prayer of Paul's in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. A 
prayer for you and for me. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Amen. <laughs>